Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. So, if you turn with me to Acts chapter 28, as you can see, we are at the final furlong. And I'm going to start reading at verse 11. right to the end of the chapter. You ready? I'm reading from the ESV. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, And on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when he came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn. And I would heal them. 
Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Today, our final topic in this book is the end of the beginning. The end of the beginning to Rome and beyond, if you like. And we're going to see God faithfully fulfills his purpose. Amen? Now, as an introduction, how many of you watch programs like Heroes, programs like 24, programs like Lost, or this, reg- this new one, newish one, called The Event, right? I mean, if you're not at the, it's, it's, they're, they're, ser- they're serials, or they are all a series, and you watch, like, the first part comes to the end, and you're at a real cliffhanger right at the climax, and then all of a sudden, you see those frustrating words come up at the bottom of your screen to be continued, <laughs> Right? Well, in similar fashion, we now come to the end of a two-volume series, if you like, and it's a work, as we said, was penned by who? By Luke, Dr. Luke, and Acts is the second part, and the first part is Luke, his gospel, and if you like, it's like a DVD double box set, right? And he he started volume one by saying, in chapter one, verse one through to four of Luke, his first volume, he said, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely. And how many of you know Luke has done that, hasn't he? Because Luke's the one that has been recording everything we've been looking at for the past two years in the book of Acts. And it's been amazing. And so if you think about it, Luke is actually writing what he wrote just a minute ago that I quoted after all that we've looked at in the book of Acts. And he's followed them closely. For some time past, he says, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, person he's writing to, right? That you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And I mean, if you know, we get a chance to peep in as to what Theophilus had the blessing and the privilege and the benefit of receiving. We get to read it too. Hey. And you see, that's Luke's purpose for writing his first and then his second volume which is Acts. Now, have a look now. That was Luke chapter 1. Have have a look at now Acts chapter 1, the beginning of both films, if you like. He says in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, he says, in the first book, which was what? His gospel. Luke, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus, what? Began. Began to do and teach. See, that that gives you the impression that Jesus is going to continue to go on to 
to do and to teach, right? Verse 2, until the day when he, that is Jesus, was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, right? To them he presented himself alive, resurrected from the dead, right? After his suffering, which was apparent on the cross and prior to that. And by many proofs, I think I mentioned it last week, there were many things that Jesus did after his resurrection that made them say, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like Thomas. Remember when he fell to his knees? You are my Lord and you are my God. Because he saw him walk through the walls and this man that he saw die was now alive. Many infallible proofs, it says in the King James, if I remember correctly. Appearing to them during 40 days, see, it wasn't apparitions, 40 days and speaking about what? Speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to, I want you to note that because we're going to come back to it. Verse 6, so when they had come together, this is, remember Acts chapter 1, this is just before Jesus is about to ascend back into heaven. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time, now that you're resurrected from the dead and it's evident that you're the king, is this it now? We're going to take over. Is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So the disciples have an appreciation of the kingdom, but it's slightly twisted, right? Verse 7. So he says to them, look, fellas, it's not for you, you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Jesus said, if you like, Jesus doesn't say the kingdom isn't coming. He has actually previously said that the kingdom has already come in the Gospels, remember? And it had in part, that is the kingdom of God, which is what? It's the rule of God. It's the government of God. And that's why I can say it's come, because there are individuals who are now, who, who were at that time living their lives under the government of God. Submitting themselves to God. The kingdom had already begun to come. And I see the thing is, everyone who submits to King Jesus and becomes his subject is now in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, it's, within your, it's, within, it's at hand, meaning it's, it's within your grasp. But just reach out and, and you can obtain it. The kingdom of God. But you see, not everyone... Is in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is available to everyone, but not everyone has become a partaker of the kingdom. Not everyone is subject to the king at the moment. Some are, but there will come a time where everybody is, will be. Scripture says that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Don't worry about when it's going to happen, Jesus says to the disciples. See, that's to wake you up. <laughs> Don't worry about when it's going to happen in a complete and total sense, that is. He says, concentrate on what? Concentrate on how, verse 8. See, then Jesus says, but look, this is what I want you to concentrate on, fellas. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be what? 
You'll be my witnesses. Now, we, I said we're going to come back to the kingdom of God, and we're going to come back to this issue of witnesses. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. It's not about ruling and reigning right about now. I say it all the time. Yo, where's my throne? Where's my scepter? It's not about that. Where's my crown? It's not about that right now. It's actually about serving, and it's actually about being a witness. Actually, it's actually further from... Um, what you think in terms of ruling and reigning. That's coming, but that's not now. It's actually the opposite. It's like suffering, pain, hardship. Because being Jesus' witnesses, it's not no easy thing. It's not a slight thing. So he says to them, you're going to be my witnesses. The word witness is translated in the book of Revelation. What? Anybody know? And it says, and they, and they loved, it says, it says, it says um, and they overcame by the, word, by, the, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto what? Unto the death. Revelation 5 calls the witnesses martyrs. Now, it's not the twisted sort where you jump in an airplane and fly, you know what I'm saying, into buildings and kill people. Not that kind of martyr. It's the kind of martyr that lays down their life, not takes other people's lives. It's the opposite. Martyrs, you're going to be my witnesses. Everyone's going to be like, whoa, for real. They'll be like, oh, Lord, this whole long time we've been with you. We thought that long time. Well, like three years. <laughs> you might be like, oh, boy, I've been a Christian for five years. And boy, Lord, how much longer? Well, there are witnesses in the book of Revelation that cry out in that sense. In Revelation 5, remember, they say, Lord, they've been slaughtered. They're in heaven now, under the altar. Descriptive, isn't it? Why are they under the altar? Because their lives have been sacrificed. And they're crying out, Lord, how much longer? And the Lord says, a little while longer. Until those who are like you, your brothers, who are witnesses for me, when they've lost their lives and the numbers come to completion... Then, it'll be, then it will be over, but for them, it wasn't for now, and for us, it's similar, isn't it? It's not for now, but yet, may God help us to continue to be witnesses. He says to them, you're going to start where? In Jerusalem, and they did, and then he says, you're going to spread out. You're going to spread out to Judea, Samaria, and into the end of the earth, the uttermost parts of the earth, right? Now, Jesus said that, and that verse is the summary verse for the whole book. If you've been on the journey, you know that that's true. And that's what we've seen happening. And we're going to see this culminated today, right? Now let's have a quick look at the outline of the book. I thought, oh, there's the verse. I wonder where it went. <laughs> let's have a quick look at the outline of the book. The theme of the book has been the spread of the gospel, just like it said in that verse. From Jerusalem which is where Jesus was, and he leaves the disciples, this motley bunch, and he goes away. And you'd think, it's like, you, know, you see how humble Jesus is? I mean, what would have stopped him from just conquering the world one time? He could have done that. But he didn't. He entrusted the work into the hands of the disciples, empowered by the Spirit, right? And it's, it's a good thing that he never done it then, because we wouldn't have been born... And then we wouldn't have had the opportunity to get saved from our sins and come into a relationship with God ourselves. 
Jesus is humble and he done his part. And that humility, God came, became a man and he done his part and then he left. Sent the spirit. So that's the outline of the book. From Jerusalem to Rome, chapter 1 through to chapter 7, we saw the birth of the church in Jerusalem. And chapter 6, verse 7, as a summary verse of that section, said the word kept on spreading and numbers increased. And that was in the face of Stephen being martyred. Chapter 8 through chapter 9, we saw the expansion of the church into Samaria now, which is pushing past the borders of Jerusalem, and Judea, which is where Jerusalem was. Jerusalem in Judea is like London in, in, London in Greater London. And it goes beyond that to now Samaria, which is further north. And the summary verse is the church had peace. I was strengthened, chapter 9, verse 31. And then we saw chapter 10 through to chapter, through to chapter 12, and it was the opening of the gospel. I mean, talk about groundbreaking. The opening of the gospel to the Gentiles. And the summary verse, chapter 12, verse 24, the word of God, look, continued to grow and multiply. And I think that was a bit earlier we saw somebody killed by the sword. Do you remember who that was? One of the apostles. Well, not, not one of the apostles. Yeah. Killed by the sword. James. Murdered by Herod. But look, the word of God continued to grow and multiply. They said that, they said that God buries his prophets, but his purpose continues. Then we saw... Chapter 13, massive section, chapter 13 through to chapter 28. And it was the gospel spreads throughout Asia Minor. It went, it went west, didn't it? And spread across to Europe. And we saw Paul's first, second, and third missionary journeys. And the church, chapter 16, verse 5, continued to be strengthened and increased. And exactly what Jesus said in, in exactly the way that he said it, they were witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, last week, we saw in chapter 27 that Paul, remember, under armed, under armed escort, begins his journey to Rome. Initially, it seemed like a straightforward trip, right? But soon after departing, the ship meets with great difficulty being caught in a terrible storm, which nearly ended in disaster, right? Taking them off course, yet God was in complete control. Yet God was, they went off course, yet God was in complete control. We left them last week on which island? Island of Miletus, King James, the island of Malta, which brings us nicely to verse 11. I encourage you just to turn and look at your Bibles with me. Acts chapter 28, verse 11. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to, and so we came 
to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when he came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. Now, up behind me, I've just put a map. Someone said they couldn't see it last week. Sorry about that. Need to get a more powerful projector, more power. But the map up behind me, it it describes what we just read. They left Malta after being there for three months during the winter time. Remember, September, October, so October, November, December, kind of January, those winter months. And they arrive at Syracuse and they stay there for three days. Then they travel to Regium, which is the south coast of Italy, right? You can see it right on the tip of the boot. And they stay there for two days. Then they leave for Puteoli. Upon arriving there, they're met by some Christians, some other believers, and they remain with them for a week. Now, that that must have been difficult because they're so close to Rome, yet they're not there. But the fellowship was probably sweet, so they stayed for a week. Then more brothers came from Rome to meet Paul and his companions. So Paul's got believer f- friends and believers who are in Rome, and they leave Rome, which is where he's going, to come and link him. Some come as far as the three taverns, and some, they come as far as the Forum of Appius, and you can see it there on the map, right? They're so excited that he's here. And they come and they link him, and then they walk back to Rome with him. Notice. Paul did two things in response to these believers coming and showing him love. Can you see the two things there in verse 15? The first thing he done was what? He thanked God. I said it in the prayer. We need to be grateful people. He thanked God. And then two, he took courage. It's funny, Paul was met by the Lord Jesus at a time when he was really struggling and the Lord really encouraged him, didn't he? But isn't it amazing how we can be greatly encouraged by Jesus, obviously. Jesus turns up and encourages you. You're going to be encouraged, right? But isn't it wonderful that we can also be encouraged by other believers? Another believer coming and showing you some love, giving you a hug, putting an arm around you. Can I pray for you? That can be, that can be, so I hesitated, but I think it's true, that can be just as encouraging. Sometimes we can be like, oh Lord, if only you'd appear to me. You know, one day, right, I was, this happened to me twice. One day I was praying, and I wasn't on no deep spiritual long, like six day fasting. It wasn't like that. I was just, just praying, just praying. But the thing is, it was real early in the morning, so it was dark outside. So I'm there and I'm talking to the Lord and trust me on this. When I tell you, yeah, you know, sometimes you pray, like I said last week, and the the heavens are like brass. You're praying and your your, your words are bouncing off off the ceiling and off the walls. They're not going nowhere. You're like, I don't even. But then you have those times when you talk to the Lord and you feel like he could be sitting right next to you. Anybody had that experience? Listen. Listen, when I sat down there this day and I closed my and I was talking to the Lord, I swear down, if I did open my eyes, 
I'm convinced. It may not convince you, yeah? I'm convinced. If I opened my eyes, I would have seen the Lord sitting right there with me. I was so terrified. Listen, I was there saying, Lord, please. I was like, Lord, please. Please. Please don't appear to me. <laughs> now, that, that sounds mad, doesn't it? I was like, Lord, I, Lord, please don't let me open. Please, Lord, don't let me open my eyes and see you. Because if I do, I would die. That's how I felt. And that's happened to me twice in my life happened a few years ago. And um, sometimes you feel like, man, that's what, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I need. That's what I'm saying right there, Robert. That's what I need. You know, but it's not the case. <laughs> if you got it, you know what I mean? The Bible says no man has seen God and lived, right? Obviously, we know that Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. But, like, you see the face of the Father, that's it. <laughs> you, know I mean? you know what I mean? You're home and dry because you, cause you died. You're, and I felt like I was going to be consumed. And so let's be encouraged that as we encourage one another, God by his spirit is doing all that, you know, Jesus would do if he were here. Because what's he going to do? I mean, you know, like John. You remember when John saw the Lord in Revelation 1? Oh, my gosh. The Bible says his eyes were like flames of fire. You get me? It's like, he said that his voice was like Niagara Falls. Anyone ever been Niagara Falls? That's what it's like if you stand at Niagara Falls trying to speak to someone. You can't hear what they say. You just see their mouth moving. You just see their lips moving. So loud. It's thunderous. You have to, they give you earplugs so you don't get deaf. That's what John said Jesus' voice was like. And then he said he couldn't even look at him because his appearance, his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. I mean, you don't want Jesus to appear to you. <laughs> Just be encouraged when Pastor Ephraim comes to check you, yeah? <laughs> be encouraged. Now, where are we? Paul thanked God and took courage and was encouraged by these brothers. Now, although Paul was under armed escort, he was under arrest, he was still in chains. And um, we're going to probably come back to this a little bit later. Imagine, Paul was encouraged. It'd be different if it says Paul was there with a platinum chain with ice on it. Could, you'd be like, yeah, man. But he's not. The man's in heavy irons, shackled, manacled. And yet he's encouraged. May God use that to encourage us. That's in verse 16. Now... Notice in verse 11, it says the ship that they got on had left Malta, right? And it had a, a certain figurehead. Now, figurehead is the kind of, it's the ornament on the front of the ship. Is it the bow of the ship? Is the front of the ship, right, Pastor e? Amen. The bow of the ship is the front of the ship. And it's that ornament on the front, right? The figurehead. And the figurehead um, was Castor and Pollux. 
some translations, like the ESV that I read from, doesn't in include that, but it suggested that this is what was on the, the front of the ship, Castor and Pollux, and their mythical brothers, both apparently sons of Zeus, right? That's according to Greek mythology. And they were the protectors of those who travel by sea. Yet we know, right, that it was, it was God the Almighty that had brought them safe thus far. What an irony. Isn't it interesting that God gets pulled to Rome as he had promised in spite of all the challenges, seen and unseen. See, something deeply spiritual was going on behind the scenes. And I think Luke is alluding to this. See, but as brothers, that is these two, Castor and Pollux, these false demigods, they were not the source of Paul's encouragement. And they're brothers, right? But who was the source of Paul's encouragement? It was Jesus through the brothers, that is the brothers in Christ, who would come and meet him. Is that possibly just something kind of be, just behind the text that we may not necessarily see quite clearly? Jesus was their encouragement. And maybe we see Luke making an allusion to this. And you can think about it. Luke's there and he's on the boat. He's drawing near to the land. And he kind of looks at the boat. And he looks up at Castor and Pollux. And he just smiles to himself. And he considered the journey that they had just made. Remember, it was him that wrote, boy, I don't think we're going to make it, you know. And then they arrive on land, innit? And I can just see Luke jumping on Aristarchus' back, right? in excitement and joy. And in Paul, he inhales deeply and takes a breath of Italian air. And then he kneels down, taking the soil in his hands and with tears in his eyes, he says, we're here. Can you believe it? We're in Rome. And in that same bended posture, he prays and he, and he gives thanks to God. What a moment that must have been. But notice, in the text, Luke doesn't really make a big deal of them arriving at Rome. You'd think he could have embellished it. He did with the storm, right? He went there with the storm, like a whole chapter and some, right? But just a short trite statement with regards to the fact that they arrived in Rome. Not very detailed, right? It's almost incidental. I'm going to tell you why in a minute. Verse 17. After three days, he, that is Paul, called together the local leaders of the Jews. Now, Paul's extraordinary. I mean, he's just walked 100 miles plus from Puteoli. And the brother only has three days rest. I mean, how many of you know that we're lightweights? Paul is just a, he's a, he's, I was going to say he's a machine, but he's not. He's just a man on a mission. Because, you know, if you really want to go somewhere, you really want to do something, it, don't, it doesn't matter how tired and how busted you are, you're going to get up and do it. Remember we used to go raving? You know what I mean? 
When I used to go raving, right, check it, two, there was three loves in my life. One of them was girls, the other one, or the second one, was music, and the third one was football. I used to get the first two when I used to rave. But then I'd come home, like, you know, you reach home and it's light. It's bright. My, kid, my kids will probably laugh at me, you know what I mean? Because they probably don't think that I used to do what they're now tempted to go and do, right? But I used to do that and come in the morning, light was bright. I used to go to some nightclubs. Some nightclubs used to start at 8 in the morning. You know what I'm saying? Do they still do that? So I'd come home and I'm, but listen, I'm so lean when I come home. And not because I used to drink or smoke, because I never drank and I never smoked. Never been drunk in my life. Never bun green. Never smoked cigarette. So the, thank God. For, thank God for that. But I'd come in and I'm so mash up. But you know what? Man would be like, Rup. I was going to say, man called me on my mobile. I never had mobiles in them days, yeah? Man would phone me up, man, Rob, man's got to meet, you know, clap himself, 10 o'clock. I'm like, what? Yeah, football. I was like, oh, yeah, man, I'm dead. Don't watch that. <laughs> Isn't it? Because I used to love it. And I'm like, if you really love something, you're, you will be on it. Paul walks 100 miles and arrives now, takes a little breather, and boom, back on it. You kind of know where your heart is at when you look at those things in your life that you're happy to run, like knock yourself out for. That's what you love. Hopefully, it's Jesus and things relating to him that you will mash up yourself for, right? As, as I said, we're lightweights when it comes to this. Let me start off with myself before I pick on you, right? Now, I've been saying for the past couple of weeks that um, we're going to Nigeria. Um, I think one of the things that paved the way for me to even be willing to go was the whole Jamaica thing. Now, to give you a quick summary, I never wanted to go to Jamaica. You'd be like, oh man, it's, it's tropical island. And see, that's what I'm saying. Like I said last week, you're happy to go Rome, but you, ain't, you don't want to go and do what Bull's going to do. And I was happy to go to Jamaica, but not to do the things that the Lord wants me to do. And I'd be like, Lord, I'm not, Lord, I am far from feeling that. Two years, I was resistant, I'm not interested. And then the Lord, just over a process of time, just with his love and, and grace and, but Robert, man, I've been so good to you. Be like, shed my blood for you, bud. Like, look at the lengths that I went, left heaven, just to come down. If it was you one, I would have died for you. Robert, come on now. I'd be like, Lord, man, don't do me like that, man. Chart. You see, that's how God motivates us. It's none of this, you must. And if you don't, it's none of that business. We're motivated by grace, by God's goodness. That's how we even get saved. It's the goodness of God, the Bible says, that leads to repentance. And God brought me down. So, part of the reason I never wanted to go to Jamaica is because I'm not trying to go to Jamaica where every minute light gone. You get me? I want to be able to plug in my laptop and know when I plug it in, I'm going to get power. You know what I mean? I don't want to turn on the tap and there ain't no water. I have to go to the tank outside and drink the heavy rainwater. You know about that? I, that's what I wasn't feeling, see? And I'm like, with the whole, like, the whole Nigeria thing, I really feel like, because I'm, I'm convinced that to some degree, Nigeria and Jamaica are similar. I know that 
big up yourself, all the, Afri all the Africa crew. I know Nigeria is, is further developed than Jamaica. You know what I mean? I f I apparently, uh, I ain't got time. Um, <laughs> but it is. I f it's, it's much closer to being a first world country than Jamaica is. <laughs> Jamaica's just, it's just the rim, just the outer, it's just the northern part of Jamaica that's really kind of nice. Jamaica's rough on a level, and I suspect, I suspect most, a lot of Nigeria is, is rough. And so I was like, I'm not feeling it, Lord. But true, the Lord had been breaking me down. I'm like, okay, it was easier for me to submit. So that's me picking on me. How about you? What about you? See? How you respond when at the last minute at work they say to you, can you stay on for another couple hours? Sorry, sis, I'm looking at you, but don't watch that. You know, I mean, some moaning and some groaning and some complaining. How, what are you like when you can't get to play Xbox? And you can't get to play your PS3? What are you like? On some moaning and groaning and just got your face made up and... What happens when you can't get your eyebrows plucked? And I'm, you know that I've got women in my, living in my house. What happens when you can't get your nails done? And you, just, you can't get that pair of shoes to go with that outfit or that handbag to go with the mountain of other ones that you got, right? One of the worst things for you is to go out and not be matching. I'd be like, we are so lightweight. A lie? See, and we ain't even talking about like real hardship. May, may God help us to start enduring hardness as good soldiers. You know, soldier, when he's, when, <laughs> them soldiers in Iraq who may have, like, was born in, in Camberwell or Peckham or Brixton, born in South London. They're on mission now in Iraq or Afghanistan or Libya or wherever it is they are right now. How many of you know, in their mind, they might be thinking, boy, a man could just go chicken shop right now. <laughs> they might think that. But as quickly as that thought comes, it leaves because they know that in two minutes, they're going to have to run over some bunker and they might get hit by enemy artillery. Chicken shop is going to be one of the last things on your mind when your life is at risk in that sense. Because you're, so, you're, you're a soldier. And then Paul talks in, in Timothy, doesn't he, about the farmer. He says, the hard-working farmer. Farmer's the man who gets up when everyone's still sleeping. The farmer's the man who plants and sows and digs and hoes. And a year later, he might not get no crop. But he's still out there on it, working hard with the pigs and the cows and the mud and four by four in the... In the rain, he's a farmer. And then Paul talks about the athlete. The athlete who, you know what, mm, everything in me, I want that chocolate cake, I want to eat that chocolate cake. It, the chocolate cake, it sprouts arms and says, take me and eat me. Right? But the athlete has to say, you know what, I can't do that. Everyone's going out, athlete's like, I'm going to my bed right now. And I was like, what? Yeah. Because I've got a more important goal that I'm trying to reach. I've got a target. You know what they say about targets, right? They say if you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it. Athlete's got a target, and he's on it. That means he's got a sacrifice. He's got to say no. And it's, it's painful. 
See, we're lightweights. May God help us, me included. Lord, creature comforts is killing me. Verse 17, after these days, Paul called together the local leaders of the Jews. Paul again and again takes the message to the Jew first and then also to the Greek, that is the non-Jew. But this time he doesn't go to them, does he? He says they come to him because he's under house arrest. He begins by saying, you know what, fellas? I've got no axe to grind with you. He says, you know, he says, I've got no beef with you. I've got no daggers up my sleeves. Verse 17b, or the second part of verse 17. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers. Now, that's not Christian brothers. That is Jewish brothers, like biological brothers from the same nation, right? He says, brothers. Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because I hadn't done nothing right. But there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled. I had no option but to appeal to Caesar. Though I had no charge to bring against my nation. See, he's clarifying his motive and here it is in verse 20. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm here shackled, that I'm here wearing this chain. He's going to put the meat on the bones momentarily. But as always, Paul will appeal to the scriptures that these Jews say they believe in. Paul will appeal to the scriptures that these Jews say that they actually believe in. Verse 21, and they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you. And none of the brothers coming here have reported or spoken any evil about you. Which to Paul, I'm sure was a relief. Verse 22, but we desire to hear from you. What, what your views are for with regard to this sect, we know that. Everywhere it is spoken against. Okay, well, that's not good, but it's not surprising, right? Verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening. <laughs> Paul's my bridging, you know. From morning till evening, he expounded to them. Doing what? <laughs> okay, laugh. What's he doing? Remember that word I asked to remember? He's testifying. And, what, and who, does, who testifies? Can we call, please call the next witness to do what? To come and testify. Testifying to what? Testifying to the kingdom of God. Which is what? Remember, it's the rule of God. It's the righteousness of God. It's God coming and it's being in a place where you want to pray, Lord, I love you. Let not my will, but your will be done. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's someone who understands the kingdom of God. Which kingdom are you in? Which kingdom are you submitted to? Did you know there's only two? It's either the one I just described or it's the other one. Kingdom of darkness. 
that as a king, and his name ain't Jesus. His name's Lucifer, or the devil, or Satan, the dragon, the one who goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's the king. Which of the kings are you submitted to? Or like I said, which of the kingdoms are you a part of? Testifying to the kingdom of God. Remember Acts chapter 1? I just mentioned it. I'll just put it up there just to highlight it. Testifying. That's what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said his apostles, his disciples would do. And here we see my man is on it. And he wasn't even there in Acts chapter 1. He was out killing Christians at that time. See? And he's trying to convince them as he testifies to the kingdom of God, trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He's not just up there blabbering, just telling them, believe it, what the Bible, yeah, why? Because it's the Bible, isn't it? Well, why do you believe it? Well, because um, my mum believes it. What? No. See, Paul's drawing for, for sources that are going to support his argument. And I suspect he quoted sections of scripture like Deuteronomy chapter 18. See, where it talks about another prophet. Like unto me, says Moses, who's going to come and he's going to deliver his people. Or Psalm 2, which talks about the anointed one, the Messiah, which is our word, our synonymous word for Christ. It means the same thing. Christ, Messiah, anointed one, they all mean the same thing. It's speaking of God's king. Psalm 2, that same king that David calls Lord. And David's the king. We, you're the king. There ain't no one greater than you. That's because you don't know nothing. There is a king and he's greater than me. He's, he's, he's Lord and he's my Lord. Who's your Lord? Psalm 16, where it talks about God not allowing his holy one to see what? To see corruption. He's not going to allow, God's not going to allow his holy one's body to decay. That's what it means. And it weren't talking about we're talking about David, who wrote it. Like Peter says, David's bones are still in his grave. It's talking about someone else. It's talking about another king. A king whose body will not decay because God's going to raise it up after three days. It's talking about the resurrection. And there's only one person that's come back from the dead. In a permanent sense. Psalm 22. Oh my gosh, Psalm 22. What's the first line? What's the first verse of Psalm 22? Thank you, sis. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the first verse of Psalm 22. Or should I say the first line, the first lyric, the first bar in that song? Because the Psalms are songs. And when Jesus hung on a cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The greater point isn't, why did he say that like... God's forsaken him. Now we know because of the issue of sin, he was separated from the Father. But that, was, that wasn't just the only, that's not the only meaning. That's not the only reason Jesus screamed that. Why did he say that? Because everyone would have been like, wait a minute. I know that song. It's like, hit me baby one more time. I know that song. 
They'd know that song because th their mum and dad used to play that all the time in the house when they were young. When they were at the temple, that's what they sang. They'd be like, Psalm why, why is he quoting Psalm 22? Oh, maybe he's quoting Psalm 22 because in Psalm 22, David said, they pierce my hands and my feet. Did that ever happen to David? It didn't happen to King David. It happened to King Jesus. And he wrote that a thousand years before crucifixion was even invented. You think they would have been staggered at the cross at that moment? Oh my gosh. But you would have been staggered if you really believed the scriptures. This morning, if, this afternoon, if you really believe the scriptures, some of this stuff would be rock, it'd be rocking you. You'd be like, mm, yeah, oh, yeah. But like, I mean, that's how I feel. I mean, it's the second time around for me, third, fourth, maybe fifth time as I've been studying it, right? I'm like, is it rocking you? Or are you like, well, yes, yeah, kind of whatever, innit? It's just church, innit? What do you mean, is it rock? What do you mean, is it rocking me? <laughs> In that same chapter, Psalm 22, it says, along with all that I just mentioned, it says, they cast lots for my garments. Psalm 22. Can you imagine when Paul draw for Psalm 22 on the Jews then? As they're standing, he's in chains. I'm sure, sure Paul was an animated brother. He's there at the chains are clinking and clanking and he's... How about Psalm 110? Where... The Lord said to my Lord, when God said to God, if you don't believe the Trinity, that don't make no sense to you. But if you believe Genesis 1.26, where God said, let us make man in our image, it's, it's all good. You'd be like, wow. The Lord said to my Lord, God said to his anointed king, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. It's gone. And then it says in that same chapter, you will forever be a priest after the order of Aaron. No. This is a different kind of priest because he's a, this is a different kind of priesthood. You will be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, no father, no mother. No beginning, no end of days. It's good. He comes to Abraham, and what does he give Abraham? Bread and wine. <laughs> A lie? It's God. I'm going to miss not preaching, you know that. Isaiah 52 talks about the Lord's coming salvation. I've got 10 minutes left. Final furlong. Couple more hurdles to jump. How about Isaiah 53, the suffering servant? Isaiah 53, the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Imagine Paul breaking this down and the man saying, Raw, brethren, you know, all this time I've been a rabbi, all this time I've been going to synagogue, all this time, fam, I never knew what Isaiah 53 meant. Right. 
These are some of the quotes that Paul may have used. And he's there killing it all day from morning till evening. I mean, I run out of steam right now. <laughs> verse 24, and check it. How could they not be? Verse 24. How could they not be? He says, and some were convinced by what he said. But wow, but others disbelieved. Yeah, a librarian, wow. But there's nothing new under the sun, is there? Same as it was then, same as it is today. Verse 25, and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. This is it. Paul killed it. They was like, that's it. We've had enough now. He says, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, verse 26, go to this people and say, said the Lord to Isaiah, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. Now that's scary. Their eyes are working and their ears are working. So then why this diagnosis? Verse 27. For this people's what? It's nothing to do with your eyes and your ears. This people's what? This people's heart has grown dull. Grown dull. Now that's progressive. When you was a child, your heart was not that hard. I could tell you, jump. Just jump into my, heart, my arms. You wouldn't even think twice. But now you want to know, well, what distance from the floor am I? And wait, Who are you anyway? Well, you're my dad. Who said so? See, why this diagnosis, verse 27, for this people's heart has grown dull. And with their eyes, sorry, with their ears, it's those two things on the side of your head, that work fine, but they can barely hear. Their eyes, they've got 20-20, but their eyes, look, they have closed. That's something they determined to do. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their eyes and their ears. Your eyes and your ears are just gates. That's why you've got to be careful what you watch. What are you watching on telly? What are you letting into the floodgates of your eyes and your ears? Who, who are you talking to? Well, you know what? You see, when I see her, I'm going to tell her about herself, you know, and da 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 Is that the kind of conversation that you're listening to? What are you looking at and what you what are you looking at? Back in the day it was magazines, right? You could kind of go in a shop and buy a Playboy or I don't even know what they're called nowadays, but like some pornographic magazine and hide that away and lock the door and and get your kicks. But now you don't have to go shop no more. Just gotta make sure you got a good broadband connection and you're gone. And it's not just visual, it's not just pictures now. It's, it's more than that. 
See, and what we don't understand is when we expose ourselves to these things. Now, there's stuff you can't help but expose yourself to, right? You're driving down the road and big old billboard and you can't get away from that, right? But we're talking about the stuff that we can open our eyes to or close our eyes to. And very often, the things that we ought to be looking at and listening to, we, we don't be, like, I don't want to hear that. If the truth be known, burn that. I'm not even, that don't even interest me. Be honest. See, the ears and the eyes are entrances to what? To the heart. What is reaching into your eyes? What's reaching in through your ears and affecting your heart? I tell you, it's either poison or it's medicine. It's one of the two. And I tell you, you will, you will be held accountable for, for the, you will be held accountable for the state of your heart. Or you will be held accountable for the things that you expose your heart to through your eyes and through your ears. What kind of music do you listen to? It's all right. I'm not on you. I can't legislate. Like me, Pastor E, and Pastor P was chatting about one day. There's stuff that we can't legislate. You can't do this and you mustn't do that. You can't go cinema. You... We can't legislate that stuff. You know what I mean? But, well, I suppose we can. The stuff that's really off-key, we can say don't listen to that. There's certain films, we can say don't watch that film. Some people get kicks out watching horror films. Correct me if I'm wrong, Pastor E. Don't watch horror films. And then tell me about, oh, you know what? I'm struggling with, I'm struggling with a nervous disposition. <laughs> See, there's more in here than I have time to talk about. But notice where the fundamental problem lies. In the heart. The heart of the human problem is the problem with the human heart. We need open heart surgery. We need a spiritual heart transplant because all of us got wicked hearts. I just don't want it to get no wickeder. God help me. Now because you have defective hearing, says Paul. Because you have defective sight, says Isaiah. Ultimately, because you have defective hearts, says God. Look at the outcome. Can you see that something vitally important is, is being communicated here? Although it, check it, although it can be understood, for some it can't be understood. Do you understand? Well, you may understand the concept, but do you understand the content? Do you have any idea who the Lord Jesus Christ is? And do you have any idea what his kingdom is about? The key is verse 25. It's the one who reveals the truth. And it's the one that brings it, the one that gives it. It's the Holy Spirit. And we can ask God if our ears are 
If our eyes are not functioning properly, if our hearts are evil, our hearts are wicked, and we're in that place where we know, I don't, you don't need me to stand up here and tell you. If we're in that place where we know, we can say, Lord, open my eyes, Lord. I, can't, I proper can't see. You know when you're in a room that's dark. But you just, if you want to see, you just flick the light on, innit? You'd be like, Lord, flick the light. I know that I'm in a room that's dark. Lord, flick the light on. Lord, remove the blindfold. Open my eyes. And if we ask God to do that, why wouldn't he do that? If we ask him, and frankly, some of you will, but some of you won't. Verse 24 says, some of them believed and some didn't. Verse 28, therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. They will listen. And historically speaking, they have. How do I know? <laughs> because one of them is sitting right next to you. Amen? Verse 29, and when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Verse, verse 30, he lived there. Oh, sorry, verse 29 is it verse? Yeah, verse 29 is not in some translations. I just mentioned that. It's not a big deal. Don't have to get nervous. Don't worry about the Muslims asking you about where's verse 29 in Acts chapter 28. They, he already said a little bit earlier that, you know what I'm saying, there was a dispute. So... <clears throat> Whether it's in here or it's not, they probably did have this dispute. It's only, if, if they're walking and I believe and I'm like, and you don't believe, bruv, but how can, you, how can you deny that's what the scripture says? So then what's the explanation? You're trying to tell me that that probably never happened? Of course, it probably did. It possibly did. But it doesn't matter if it did or it didn't. question is, are we going to walk out saying, boy, what do you think about that? See, what do you think? Don't worry about them. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? See? Verse 30. He lived there. They've gone in it. They, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. That's Paul. Doing what? Run out of time. What did he do? Proclaiming the kingdom of God. Right? You see, you see, can you see the thread that runs through the text? Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. He proclaimed and he taught. There's a difference between the two, right? He proclaimed the kingdom of God and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. That means he preached, which is another word for proclaim, and he teached, Right? It's not good English, but you understand what I'm saying. It's proclamation, which is the preaching part. And what's an easy way to describe the teaching part? If, if proclamation is preaching, I should have said it the other way. If preaching is proclamation, teaching is explanation. And that's what we'll try to do here. And I'm saying, you're going to hear those parts where I'm going to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And I don't care if you amen me. Like Corey read, I amen myself. I don't care. 
Because I'm proclaiming, I'm not asking you nothing. I'm proclaiming that. But then there's other things that I'm going to talk to you. I'm a, like, like the Lord in Isaiah 1. He said, come, let's, let's reason. And I'm going to talk to you about what you're listening to. I'm going to talk to you what you're watching. I'm going to talk, let's talk. And there's a difference between preaching and teaching, proclamation and ex explanation. <clears throat> and what did he proclaim? He proclaimed, he preached, he declared the undebatable coming of God's kingdom. That is the, the already and the not yet. He taught, he instructed on the other hand and explained about the king of this undefeatable, unstoppable kingdom. He taught them about the king of the kingdom, the Lord Jesus. The king and the kingdom that was referred to in Acts chapter 1. See, Luke ends this book in the way that he began it. Focused on the king and his kingdom. Can you see it? See, what, who would you expect the book to focus on? Under normal circumstances, at, at, at casual reading. I mean, who we've been talking about for X amount of chapters? Paul. But notice it doesn't, and I said, you know, it's just incidental. Luke mentions the fact that they arrived in Rome. And you're like, bruv, you should make a big deal out of that. And Luke's like, you, you're missing it. You don't understand. That's not, that's not the meat and the potatoes. That's just the garnish. The meat and potatoes is the king. His name is Jesus and his kingdom. See, and what happens to Paul? Well, you might say, what happened to Paul? <laughs> to be continued. <laughs> and check it, and he does. I'll give you a little, this, I'll finish preaching now. This is my last week, right? So, I'm going to take liberties. Now, I'm nearly finished. I'm literally on the last page. Am I? Oh, nearly. Paul, what does happen to Paul? Really briefly, Philippians, which is one of the books that he wrote whilst he's here now in Rome in prison. Philippians, beautiful. It's wonderful. Read, just, just being able to read the book now with all of that background understanding, this is where Paul is when he writes the book, right? Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. He says, see, this is, Paul always does this, doesn't he? He's such a grateful brother. He says, I thank my God. <laughs> I love it. I thank my God. Let's, oh, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, you Philippians, you. Always in prayer of mine for you. All making, no. Always in every prayer of mine for you. Always making my prayer with joy, I think. Because of your partnership in the gospel. Now, listen, my man's talking about the fact that he's got joy. He's praying for others, not thinking about himself. The bread is in prison. Lord. He says, verse 6, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And I'm sure of this, being confident, King James, of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So encouraging. Amen? Verse 7, and it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Does that sound like a guy who's consumed with the fact that the chains are burning in his hand? 
hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now, you'd think that Paul could potentially be discouraged. He can't get out. He can't get out and about and do what he loves best to do. I mean, Paul's shackled, possibly, to a Roman soldier. Surely the gospel now would be prevented. The gospel is now going to be hindered. Lord, how can you have a man like Paul shackled? What's that all about, Lord? Who's that remind you of? Don't you not remember? Man's like, rah. Man, I was like the order of the day. Everybody's coming to me. Like, yo, John. What up, John? And John's like, yeah, safe. Like, it, was, it was like, oh, but... Then I had to come to the place where I realized that he must increase and I must decrease. Remember? But then he forgot that. Because he's, in, he's now in prison and he's like, wait a minute. <laughs> What's this prison business all about? See, Paul is not like John in this moment. And I thank God for John. And John knows better now, right? Because he got his head chopped off. But Jesus says, blessed is he who is not offended on account of me. I said it in community group that I'd mention it. See, when you're in difficult circumstances, when you're offended, it's not necessarily with the circumstances, it's not with the person that has maybe put you in that situation or done a wrong on you. Or I wonder if it's that you're offended at God. Jesus said, blessed is he. This is the message he sent back to John. Not, oh, John, what are you suffering? Oh, let me go check. No. I'm not even going to go check him. You go and tell him. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And actually, John, God's actually still working, although he's not working through you at the moment. Because the blind are being healed, the deaf are hearing, and the captives are being set free. Hey, what are you saying, John? What are you saying, Will? What are you saying, blankety blank? What are you saying? Paul. And you think, Lord, man, shouldn't, you should have let John out so he could do his thing. Lord, man, you should have let Paul out let him do his thing. Do his thing. Now look at the rest of Philippians chapter 1. Another, another, another part, verse 12 and 13. So listen, listen to what Paul says. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to prevent the gospel. What, did he say that? What has actually happened to me has caused the gospel to be halted and stunted. Like the gospel can't do it at me. I'm Paul. I'm the one that wrote to you lot in the first place. Remember, it's me that sent that letter that you've all been reading. Be like, oh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God. I wrote that letter to you. But Paul's not saying that. Paul's saying, look. What has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. Now, that don't make sense. But see, we're living in a different kingdom. We live in an upside-down kingdom. The way up is down. You want to receive, give. Not in that twisted way that you hear the prosperity preacher say. And I mean, you want to be exalted, humble yourself. Upside-down kingdom. Verse 13, look. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. And to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Check that. I mean, if they're shackling a Roman centurion or soldier to Paul every day for two years. Paul be like, oh, what's going on, bro? What's your name? Maximus Decimus Meridius. It's like, all right, cool. 
Let me tell you about, let me t- you know, you ever been, you, you ever been stationed in Jerusalem? Mm, no, yeah, once I've been at the Praetorium Guard in Jerusalem, and so the conversation goes on, and you know Paul's going to go in, and he's going to tell him about Jesus. Paul's been banging on at the gospel to the point where now check it, the whole imperial guard is affected by the gospel. Check it. Jerusalem travels to Rome, that is the gospel, and now check it. The gospel is in the center of the known world now, and it's been proliferated out. It's amazing. Second Timothy 2, as we get ready to finish that. Second Timothy 2, people are walking out on me now, so <laughs> you're only saying there because you love me, and you're only staying there because you don't want to embarrass me. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 through 9 says, Remember, remember, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. I mean, you could stop right there. The offspring of David has preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but what? But the word of God is not bound. Heavy. So as great as Paul is, the book of Acts don't end with him. You've got to go elsewhere to find out what I'm to Paul, right? Philippians and Timothy and... Second Corinthians, the inner Second Corinthians. So, as great as Paul is, see, even him getting to Rome is wonderful, but not the main issue to be highlighted. It's just the concluding episode of a continuing series, and it's called the Unstoppable Church. And this actually didn't start with Acts chapter one or even Luke chapter one. It started before the New Testament. Back in the Old Testament, back with Abraham, actually before Abraham, back with Adam. In fact, it started before Adam, way back before the beginning of time. Matthew 13, 35, as our speed read says, Jesus says, I'll open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Matthew 25, 34, Jesus talks about inheriting a kingdom prepared from the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1, gone. Verse 3, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world. See, it goes beyond the first century, and it comes right up to the 21st century and beyond. And we get to screencast. We get to become involved. We're real life actors on a real life stage, playing our roles as God has scripted them. Acts acts concludes, but the actions continue. How? Look at the end of verse 31. How does it continue? With all boldness and without and without hindrance. So there we have it. Acts. The history of the unstoppable church. Shall we pray? Thank the Lord for that. Father, we just... Just want to say thank you. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of your wonderful purpose. Your wonderful plan. Lord, for the record... 
I'd like to say that there's nothing greater. There's nothing more important. There's nothing as important as the kingdom of God. And thank you that that doesn't mean that husbands and wives are not important and our children are not important and parents are not important and money's not important and jobs are not important and houses and cars and careers, Lord. It doesn't mean that those things are not important, but Lord, they all come under fundamentally the kingdom of God and that's primary and it affects all of those areas of our lives, Lord. And Lord, we're on mission. doesn't mean that we're going to leave this country, go to another country, although it may mean that. But Lord, what it means is that we are submitted as subjects to the king of this great kingdom. Please help us to do that, I pray. And in a, and, and in a, in a wonderful way that you're going to use us all in different ways, Lord. Paul wasn't Peter, wasn't James, wasn't, wasn't, wasn't Stephen. They're all different, and we're all different, Lord. You're going to use us all in different ways. Please help us, Lord, to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, knowing that everything else is going to be added to us. And if we don't do that, Lord, then we end up losing everything, temporarily and eventually eternally. So help us as we look to you. In the name of Jesus Christ.